Well, good morning, everyone. It's a pleasure to be back with you, especially after missing a week and after the holiday season where everyone's running around and I'm glad things are finally going back to normal. I don't like all the moving around and driving. It's not that I don't like seeing family, it's just they live a really long ways away, so getting there is not always the most fun. Uh, And I just like a life of routine, uh, so I'm glad to be back at it, and I'm glad to see you all. 2023, unbelievable that we're here already. When I, I, still, I read something that said something is going to be coming out in 2023 today, and I thought, oh, it's a couple years from now, and it's like, oh, no way, (laughs) we're already there. Uh, Isn't that funny? Um, So, uh, 2013 was 10 years ago. Can you believe that? Who, who all still thinks 2013 uh, sounds like it's going to be taking place a few years from now? Uh, I won't ask for a raise of hands. Anyway, uh, we're going to, uh, like Doug had mentioned already, we're going to be going through a series on our statement of faith, the statement of faith for the Atlantic Gospel Chapel. Now, who all knew that we at the Atlantic Gospel Chapel had a statement of faith? Yeah, okay, great. Who all has been on the Atlantic Gospel Chapel's website to read that statement of faith? All right, a couple people, perfect. Well, uh, we're going through the statement of faith, and uh, the reason that we have a statement of faith and that everyone has a statement of faith, of course, we at the Atlantic Gospel Chapel would say, you want a Uh, Do you want to know what we believe? Then here it is. Here is the Bible. But uh, a statement of faith, really what it does is it distills the the teachings of the Bible down to a few points. That way, when someone asks you, what do you believe? You don't have to cite the entirety of the Bible. I don't have to start at Genesis and then end at Revelation a few days later uh, explaining what it is we believe. We can go to that statement of faith and we can point to it. And uh, it it lets people know uh, exactly what we're going to be getting into, and it holds us to a standard here at the Atlantic Gospel Chapel. If we're teaching something, then it needs to be in line with the statement of faith. And again, it's not because the statement of faith is a higher authority or anything like that, but because what the statement of faith does is it it explains for us what we're finding here. So we're going through that statement of faith, those basics uh, of what it means to be even just a Christian. And it's always important to go back to the basics. The basics are the foundation. They're the groundwork. They're the things that we need to know. They're the things that we need to be very strong in. In uh, the Army National Guard, I went through basic training uh, where they teach you how to be a soldier. But the amazing thing is, is once you get out of basic training, Uh, Though you do eventually learn more advanced techniques and things like that, you are always going back to the basics. You're always re-rehearsing the basics because those basics are the foundation for anything else that you are going to learn. And it's the same in the Christian life. It is always going to be rooted in the basics. If I want to learn uh, some of the more 
uh, technical uh, things about God, well, I need to have a firm grasp on the basics. And that's why it's important to go through the basics, and, and that's why it's not, it's not necessarily recovering old ground that we all know. We all need to be reminded of these things. We all need to be aware of these things. So we're going through the statement of faith, and I'm going to be going through the first point in that statement of faith. If you have one of these with you and you look at that very top point, uh, that is basically going to be the outline for my message today. And if you don't have a statement of faith, be sure to grab one on your way out. And and just a quick note, as we're going through our statement of faith, we're not necessarily going to go in this order. That's just how it works with the scheduling, but each speaker will be sure to tell you uh, where we are at. But we're starting at the top one, the first one, and, and really because that is the foundation for everything else we believe. We believe that the Bible both Old and New Testaments, to be, inspi- to be the inspired word of God without error in the original writings, the complete revelation of his will for the salvation of men in the divine and final authority for all Christian faith and life. And then it cites for us the reason we believe this, which is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. So I'm going to read that passage of scripture, we'll pray, and we'll get into the message. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, one that's been cited countless times from this pulpit, but always one worth uh, reading once again and reaffirming in our minds. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is inspired or God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God might be equipped, having been thoroughly equipped for every good work. Our Father, we are thankful that you have given us your word. You have given us a standard so that we can know uh, what it is you want us to know and believe. We're thankful that this Bible is sufficient. We're thankful that it does equip us for every good work that you would have us uh, endeavor. We pray that you would be with us now in in this time as we study your word, what you have to say regarding it, why it is the uh, sole infallible source for everything that you have spoken for us. We pray that you're with us, give us understanding, help us to live by it. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so going back to our statement of faith, it starts off with the Bible, Now, if you've been here long enough, you have a pretty good understanding of what the Bible is. Uh, But again, like I said, it's always worth going back and uh, understanding the basics. What are the basics of the Bible? Well, one thing to understand about the Bible is, though it's typically contained in one volume like this, the Bible is not just one book. The Bible is not just one book. The reality is the Bible is actually a library of books, 66 books and letters. The library is a collection of 66 books and letters. These books and letters were written over the course of around 1,500 years. So it wasn't just one guy one day sitting down and starting at Genesis and then uh, at the end of the week or the month uh, ending with Revelation and boom, there's the Bible. No, the Bible was written over the course of around 1,500 years. It was written across, across three different continents and there are several dozen authors who contributed to the writing of the Bible. 
While there is a wide range of authors, time periods, locations, there's a number of literary genres in the Bible, so it's not all the same style, every book of the Bible works together to tell the one overarching story of God and his redemption of mankind. So while the Bible uh, uh, was written by many people, it all comes from the same divine author and it is all telling that same one story throughout the centuries. So the Bible, both Old and New Testaments, you recognize there's a divide in your Bible. About three quarters of the way through, you'll find a page that says New Testament. Uh, so there are two, uh, two uh, distinct bodies uh, in the Bible, and uh, the Old Testament makes up the majority of our Bibles, uh, makes up about six, uh, 39 of the books. The Old Testament covers the longest period of history, beginning with the creation, uh, the creation of everything, uh, the heavens and the earth, and then ending with Malachi, the last prophet, about 400 years before the birth of Jesus, so about 400 B.C. So all the way back to the beginning, uh, year one, all the way to about 400 B.C. It is made up of books of a number of literary genres, as I said, so there is history in the Old Testament. It contains law, legislative material. It contains poetry. It contains wisdom. And it also contains prophecy. The Old Testament actually foretells a number of things that are to happen in the future. The Old Testament is God's revelation to his chosen people, Israel. It covers the origins and the history of the people of Israel and God's promises that he made to them. It is primarily written to Israel, though uh, we recognize that God's promises made to Israel have implications for all mankind. So though God did use one nation, Israel, to give his word, there are implications for all of creation because God is not just the God of Israel, but the God of all mankind. Uh, The Old Testament is also the foundation for the New Testament. We can recognize the Old Testament as a unit, uh, but the grand narrative that is told throughout the Old Testament is not yet finished. If you only stop at the book of Malachi, there's a lot of questions that are not yet answered. There's a lot of arcs that are not yet completed. It is not finished, and the Old Testament ends looking forward to the ultimate fulfillment of God's promises to his people which are found then in the New Testament. So the New Testament uh, contains 27 books. The New Testament covers a much shorter time period, around 50 years, give or take. It was written by the apostles of Jesus and those who are closely associated with them, and they're the divine record of the work and the teachings of Christ. Just like the Old Testament, the New Testament's made up of a number of different genres as well. So we find history in the New Testament, but we also find doctrine. We find uh, teachings specifically about God in the epistles, and we also find prophecy as well in in the New Testament in the book of Revelations. 
And many of these books contain elements of each kind of literature. We find prophecy written in the history. We find uh, teaching and things like that. But uh, we can categorize them in this way just to make it a little easier to, to think about. And the New Testament really does show the fulfillment of everything that God had promised in the Old Testament. And that fulfillment is through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So while the Old Testament looks ahead to the fulfillment of the promises that God had made to mankind, the New Testament is now written in light of these promises that have been fulfilled. It is looking back at these promises and how God answered them. So the Bible, both the Old and New Testaments, we covered that, uh, we believe that the Bible, both Old and New Testaments, to be the inspired word of God. We have to ask and answer the question, where did the Bible come from? Why is it so important? Why is it that we gather every single Sunday to read from the Bible? Uh, Is the Bible simply just the thoughts and reflections of people who had an encounter with God? Uh, 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 Where did the Bible come from? Uh, We may have the idea that the Bible came about when God would suddenly take control over someone and then uh, set them in a trance and then use them to write his word, kind of like a divine typewriter uh, or something like that. Uh, Did the Bible simply just fall out of the sky already with its uh, gold trim and beautiful leather cover so we can just pick it up and read God's word? No. No. Uh, But what we are acknowledging here is that the Bible indeed does come from God. The Bible comes from God. The Bible is his word. But what exactly does that mean? And uh, our statement uses the word inspiration. We believe the Bible to be the inspired word of God. The inspired word of God. Now, when we use the word inspiration, we may get the idea that, uh, oh, Uh, here's an example of how you might use the word inspiration. I saw a sunset and I was inspired to write a beautiful poem about it. Uh, right? And we may get the idea that, oh, someone had an experience with God, and then they were inspired to write about that. That's not what the Bible means when it says inspiration. Uh, The literal word behind that that we find, and we get that word from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, uh, that uh, uh, the literal word behind that is theopneustos, which literally means God breathed. Uh, to inspire something is to fill something. The air is inspired with something. It, it gives the idea that uh, something is breathed into it. But the idea really presented in Scripture is that God breathed out Scripture, Right? Scripture was not there simply for then God to breathe into. Someone didn't write something down and God say, oh, I like that, I'm going to make that my word. Uh, the literal words themselves find their source in God. That's what is being taught here. It's not that someone sat down and God agreed with it and said, ah, that one is my word. No, when the prophet or the apostle sat and wrote, God actually used them to speak his very words. We find this idea in a quotation from Matthew chapter 22, where Jesus is answering a challenge given to him by uh, the Sadducees, where he says this, uh, Have you not read what was spoken to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. 
So what's Jesus saying? He says, have you not read? And then what would usually follow? Have you read uh, what so-and-so wrote? I sent you an email. Did you read what I wrote to you? But that's not what Jesus said. He says, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? And then what does Jesus do? He quotes from the book of Exodus. He quotes from the Old Testament. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So the literal words that we find on the page are the words spoken to us by God. Uh, God is the source of Scripture. And yet, God uses man to give us his divine word. Uh, so God, uh, uh, God did not... Um, when we think of God using mankind to give us his word, we might get the idea that God dictated it. Like he said, all right, I need you, Paul, to sit down and then write down everything I tell you. All right, okay. Or Moses, I need you to sit down and uh, write down everything I tell you. We, we get this idea that God just simply used people as a divine typewriter, but that's not exactly what happened. God used men he used their own minds, he used their own thoughts, he used their emotions, and he used their writing style to give us his word. Where mankind is there, but God superintends mankind as they write his word, so the final result is God breathed. And we get this understanding from Second Peter. If you want to turn to Second uh, Peter, here's another one. Uh, the, this, uh, the first one that we looked at was 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. That should be the main passage that comes to mind when we think of the inspiration and the authority of the word of God. But following shortly after that should be this passage in 2 Peter. Uh, you can turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. And we'll read a starting at verse 19. And this is another passage that should come to mind that, gives a, that tells us where exactly the word came from. And we have as a much more sure the prophetic word to which you do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. Know this first of all, that no scripture comes by one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by the will of man, but men being moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So, no prophecy was ever made by the will of man, but men being moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. And what exactly is Peter telling us? He's telling us that Scripture does not simply come from the mind of man. That's an idea that uh, many people might have, is Scripture is simply the divine reflections on an experience that they had with God. No, that's not what Peter is saying. Peter is saying that the final result of the Holy Spirit moving the man is indeed God's Word. The Prophet Isaiah didn't suddenly one day decide that, man, the people of Israel are in a bad spot. I better write some scripture for them so they'll know what to do. No, he was carried along by the Holy Spirit and he spoke from God. The very words of Isaiah that he gave to his people that we have in our possession today in scripture is God's word. So, God, uh, we believe that the Bible both Old and New Testaments, so all of this, everything it contains, is the, is the inspired word of God. Uh, we go on in our statement of faith. 
without error in the original writings. Without error in the original writings. So, because Scripture finds its source in God, and because God is perfect, he cannot make a mistake, he cannot lie, uh, we recognize that Scripture also is without error. This means that the Bible, in everything that it says, is completely true, and it cannot be found in error. A word that we use to describe this is that the Bible is inerrant. You ever heard that word, inerrant? And that simply means that everything that the Bible tells us is the truth. Everything we read in here is completely true because it comes from the mind of God, who knows all things, who is all-powerful, and who cannot lie. We believe this because the author of Scripture is perfect, and Numbers tells us this. God, uh, we read in Numbers chapter 23, you don't have to turn there, I'll just read these passages quick. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. He has said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Another place, Malachi chapter 3 verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. And James in the New Testament says the same thing. Every good thing is given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. And what's this mean? This means that God is not going to change his mind. God is not going to say, in one place, you shall not murder, and then in another place, say, actually, murder is acceptable. God is not going to say, in one place, this is how you are saved. You are saved through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in another place, actually, you need to make sure you compile up enough good works in order for you to attain this salvation. No, God is going to be consistent. God does not lie. In him there is no variation. And because of this, Scripture also is going to be consistent. So because God does not lie and because he knows everything, that means we can trust that Scripture tells the truth about everything. This means that Scripture tells the truth in everything that it teaches about history. Now, Scripture doesn't give us an exhaustive history of all human events, but Scripture does tell us things about history, and everything that it does tell us about history is true. This even includes the early history on how the world was created, how the universe and everything in it was created in six days. It includes the early history about there actually being an Adam and Eve whom God created, the history of the flood. The Tower of Babel, God records these things as history in his word. And everything that God says about history is true. Scripture is true in everything that it teaches about God. So we're not free to come up with our own ideas on who God is. God has revealed himself in his word. Uh, He's revealed himself in scripture. And all knowledge of God that we have to have must be based on what he himself says. We do not know who God is by sitting and contemplating and uh, here's what some people might do, popping some uh, hallucinogenic drugs and then uh, looking at the world around them and saying, oh, I know what God is. No, we know who God is through what the scriptures tell us. In the scriptures, everything that it says about God is true. The scriptures are true in everything that it teaches about Jesus. We recognize that Jesus truly did exist in history. 
And this is testified not just in Scripture, but in multiple sources outside of Scripture. But the only sure way to know who the historical Jesus is, is to look and see what God has spoken of him in his word. So everything that says about Jesus is true, including his divinity, including the miracles that he performed, including his death and resurrection from the grave. Scripture is true in everything that it teaches about mankind. It teaches that we were created by God for the purpose of knowing him and glorifying him. It teaches we're created in the image of God, and we're more valuable than the rest of the creatures, and we were created to rule over the rest of creation. We're not a higher evolved form of a lower evolved form. We're not a distant cousin to a chimpanzee right? We were created in the image of God to rule over the rest of creation. It teaches that uh, as a result of Adam's fall, all have sinned and fallen short and have a rebellious nature, and we're hostile to the God who created us. It teaches us that death is the result of sin. Ladies and gentlemen, death is not a natural part of life. Death is not just part of the cycle. Death is, in fact, a curse that has been brought out in creation. And we all recognize this at every single funeral we go to. We know that things should not be this way. Death is the result of a curse, and Scripture tells us about this. And because Scripture is without error, Scripture will never contradict itself. Scripture will never contradict itself. There may be places that uh, seem to have apparent contradictions, but it doesn't take that close of a study to, to recognize that these actually do not contradict. There may be some passages that we have difficulty reconciling with one another, but that usually has to do with our own limited understanding and knowledge, and not because Scripture itself is contradictory. Another point I want to make is that Scripture, because it is the Word of God, cannot and never will be lost. Right? There's the idea that, oh, uh, sure, God may have given his word way back then, but that was so long ago, and it's become so corrupted and muddled and messed up that uh, we have no clue what God actually said. We have no clue what the original actually said. That's the idea that we may get. But because it's God's intentions for his people to know him through his word, he will ensure that his people will always be in possession of his word. In Isaiah chapter 40, God says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. No matter how many people come to try and destroy the Bible, to distort the message of the Bible, whatever else it may be, you're never going to be able to get rid of it because God's word is abiding. Uh, God's word will always accomplish its purposes Later on in Isaiah, we read that for, the rain, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so my word, which uh, my word, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. My word will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. The Lord Jesus Christ says, Truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Later on, Jesus also says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not 
pass away. So scripture, uh, the infallible word of God without error in the original writings. And I do want to make a brief mention. It does say in the original writings. So we need to recognize that God gave his word at one point in history. That word has certainly been preserved for us, uh, but we need to recognize in the form in which it came. When God spoke, scripture was originally written in Hebrew and Greek. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek. And it's these original writings that are inspired. So, and the the whole thrust of this is that uh, when I come along with an English translation, that English translation, uh, I need to recognize that it is only a translation of what God had initially said. God doesn't re-inspire his word with every translation. Uh, translations are the result of men. Uh, We don't have the original copies that were written. That's something to recognize also. But the words that were written have abided uh, throughout history. God has preserved his words that the originals contained, ensuring that they are never lost. So every word that God has ever spoken to mankind, we are in possession of. God gave scripture, and we also don't need to be afraid of the fact that though God spoke in Hebrew and Greek, that we're reading it in English because God gave his word in a way that can be translated so that all people of every tribe, tongue, meaning language, people and nation can know the Lord through it. God gave scripture in a way that can be translated. So as far as the translation agrees with what is written, it can rightly be called the word of God. Though I'm not quoting direct Greek passages to you, because what I'm saying reflects uh, that which what God had spoken, this is indeed the word of God. And we see that even the New Testament authors utilize translations of the Bible in their day. Uh, the most common translation of the Bible in the days of the apostles was the Greek, when it was originally written in Hebrew. And yet, they're able to quote a Greek translation of the Bible and say, this is God's word. And in the same way, we can quote our own English translations of the Bible and say, this is God's word. And uh, another note on these uh, translations. There's a number of fine translations that we all use in the chapel, right? Uh, and uh, it's, these are fi- uh, valuable translations, and it's always important to uh, consider them and, and compare them. Uh, and it gives us a more full picture of what the text says. One of my favorite parts of our Bible studies that we do is uh, people bring a number of different translations to it. And when we get to a verse that uh, may be a little bit more difficult in my translation, someone can come along with the New King James Version or, or something similar, and it may give a more clear, more understandable translation that helps me understand it. So God's word can be translated in a number of ways, but all these translations reflect that which was initially written, right? Uh, And and it is a a wonderful thing to have uh, so many of these translations uh, available to us. And, And we do all use them. Something else you'll recognize is that we don't enforce one single translation, You may come to some churches, uh, and and it'll usually be a church that says, we believe that the King James is the one Bible. Not knocking the King James, don't don't get me wrong. But what we're saying here 
in this is that we believe uh, the Bible to be the inspired word without error in the original writings. What we're saying is that it is those original writings which are the infallible word of God. And so far as a translation reflects it, whether it's the King James, whether it's the NIV, whatever else you might use, we can use that here in the chapel. All right, moving on. We're about halfway through it, but it won't take that much longer to get through it. We believe that the Bible, both Old and New Testaments, to be the inspired word of God, without error in the original writings, now to this point, the complete revelation of his will for the salvation of men. And what we're saying is this, everything that God wanted us to know to live according to his will is found in the scriptures. The scriptures contain everything that God wants us to know, to be saved, to live a life of godliness. It is the scriptures that make us wise to salvation. Let's turn back to that passage in 2 Timothy chapter 3, if you're not still there. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Leading into this passage, starting at verse 14, the Apostle Paul is talking to Timothy, and he's preparing Timothy for a time where Paul is not going to be there to be able to help him out. Uh, Paul is expecting to die at any point as he is writing this letter, and he says this to Timothy, but you continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the, so, the sacred, uh, sacred writings, so the scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. It is the sacred writings, the scriptures, which are able to make us wise to salvation. It is the scriptures that ultimately point us to the Lord Jesus Christ and salvation through him. We're not saved by joining the right church. We're not saved by being baptized or being confirmed and whatever else it might be. We're not saved by praying a prayer. Uh, follow after me and repeat these words, therefore you're saved. No, we are saved through hearing the good news that is proclaimed in the scriptures regarding the Lord Jesus Christ and believing it and turning to him and receiving salvation. We continue reading in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, all scripture is God-breathed and it is profitable. And again, Paul encompasses everything that we can need in this life. Scripture is the complete revelation. He says that it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So that first one, teaching, another word for that may be doctrine. So every doctrine or teaching that God wants us to know is contained in the scriptures. If something is taught about God or how we should walk in light of God's revelation to us that is not found in the scriptures, we are not bound to them. We are not bound to the doctrines of men. We are only bound to that which God gives us in Scripture. We are only bound to the doctrines that God gives us in Scripture. Everything in our statement of faith needs to be presented in accordance with the Scriptures. Otherwise, no one is bound to any of it. In fact, Jesus even condemns the religious leaders in his day for holding people to the traditions of men that are not found in the scriptures. The scriptures are, suffic are a sufficient source for teaching in the church. 
All Scripture is profitable for teaching, for doctrine. And it's the job of the teacher to faithfully communicate and explain what the Scriptures teach. That's what should be happening up here every single Sunday. The Scriptures should be being taught and explained. This isn't the place for me to come up here and give my mere opinion. This isn't the place for me to simply speculate on what I think the will of God is. This is the place for the scriptures to be opened, read, and explained. The scriptures are sufficient for reproof, or another word for that is rebuke. And that simply means the scriptures are sufficient to correct us where we are wrong. So this not only includes incorrect beliefs about God, but incorrect ways in which we are living. God has given us the standard for how we are to live in his sight, and the scriptures expose where we are falling short. Scriptures are sufficient for correction. So scripture not only shows us where we're falling short, but it also provides instruction in how we may be made upright. So scripture doesn't just leave us high and dry once it shows us uh, just how bad we are. Scripture points the way of correction. It helps us, it helps to place us on our way. And finally, scripture is sufficient, uh, profitable for the training in righteousness. Scriptures ultimately teach us to be more like Christ. That is the job of scriptures, to show us who God is and then help us to become more like his son, the Lord Jesus. The scriptures are the primary tool that God uses to conform us to the image of Christ. Jesus lived every day of his life walking in accordance with the word of God. And as we continue to learn and obey the word of God, we will begin to look more and more like Jesus. And then what is the result of all of this? The result uh, of scripture being profitable for teaching, for reproof, for training, uh, for correction, for training in righteousness, is that the man of God be complete or equipped, thoroughly furnished for every good work. The scriptures are enough to equip the man of God for every good work. Uh, those who are following Christ need no other source of revelation in order, to which the, uh, in order to know the will of God. God has given us everything that we need in the scriptures. There's nothing that God wants us to know that we can't find in the scriptures. There's nothing that God wants us to do that we cannot find in the scriptures. God doesn't need to give a new word in every age or give continuing revelations of himself. There's not a new edition of the Bible or a new book of the Bible that comes out every single year. That which God has spoken is sufficient to equip the man of God for everything. And there's nothing else that God's people are in possession of that carries the weight and the authority of Scripture. We recognize that there are other authorities who help us out. There's the authority uh, of the church, of church leadership. There's the authority of the parent. There's the authority of civil authorities and things like that. But uh, all of these are ultimately subject to the Scriptures. And that leads us to the final point. Uh, the, uh, the Bible, both Old and New Testaments, the inspired Word of God without original Error, uh, without error in the original writings, the complete revelation for his will of the salvation of man, and then finally, that last point, the divine and final authority for all Christian faith and life. The scriptures are the divine and final authority for all Christian faith and life. 
So like I said, we recognize there are other authorities out there. But the ultimate authority that everything is subject to, everything is subject to, are the scriptures. We see an example of this during the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul. In Acts 17, uh, we read that the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went to the synagogue of the Jews. Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. So the Apostle Paul comes along. He's preaching the very word of God. He's been commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ himself to bring the good news to the nations. And he goes to Thessalonica. And what does it say of the Thessalonians? That they were more noble-minded because they took what Paul said and tested it against the scriptures. They tested it against the scriptures. Because, like we had said before, God is not going to say anything contrary to what his word had already said. What the, the New Testament, when that is given, it is not contrary to what we read in the Old Testament. In fact, it confirms it and finds its foundations in it. Scripture is a more sure testimony than even our own experiences. Uh, the Apostle Peter, we were in Second uh, Peter. I want to read a little bit more of what he said uh, before. Peter, speaking, uh, writing, says that for when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made by him, made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from the mountain when we were with him on the holy mountain. So what's Peter talking about? He's talking about the Mount of Transfiguration, where he sees the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. He hears the voice of the Father speaking of his Son, this is whom I am well pleased. He says, we see th- we've seen this. And then what does he go on to say? And we have an even more sure prophetic Word And what does he go on to talk about? The scriptures. So this amazing uh, revelation that Peter had been able to experience from God. And what does Peter go on to say? We have an even more sure word than that found in the scriptures. Any teaching that claims to be authoritative, an authoritative word from God that is not derived from the word of God must ultimately be rejected. Uh, there is nothing else that, uh, that we are in possession of that is God-breathed. There is nothing else in this world that carries the authority of the scriptures. This includes things such as the idea of some kind of infallible church or organization that has an equal authority as the scriptures. This includes other supposed scriptures that are not included in what God has preserved for his people. And this even includes supposed revelations from supposed prophets and apostles in our own day. This is what uh, God says to the prophets, the false prophets in the days of Isaiah. To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. There are many people who pretend to be a prophet, who pretend to be an apostle to this day. And what do they do? They can come along pretending they have a new divine word from the Lord. What should our response be? To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. We don't need to listen to any of them, and they should ultimately be rejected. And we see Jesus himself even tests the religious uh, traditions of his day against what God has spoken. 
We know the account where uh, the disciples of Jesus are not washing their hands in accordance with the traditions of the elders. And these traditions were supposedly passed down from the time of Moses. I mean, Moses is chief of the prophets, right? He's the head honcho. He's the one who gave us the law of God that everything is based on. And here we have this oral tradition passed down from the time of Moses that you are to wash your hands in a certain way before eating a meal. And this has been supposedly passed on, and here's Jesus' disciples, and they're not doing that. And Jesus is challenged. Why is it that your disciples don't follow the traditions of the elders? And what does Jesus say of them? Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. And then he says, neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. You are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. And that's exactly what they did. These traditions were supposedly passed all the way down from Moses, and yet Jesus rejects them on the basis of the scriptures. Finally, in conclusion, God has given us a clear word. The Bible, both Old and New Testaments, it is the inspired word of God, without error in the original writings, the complete revelation for his will, for the salvation of men, and the divine and final authority for all Christian faith and life. We've been given a clear word of God that is complete and without error, and it's on us to read it. God has spoken to us. Are we going to listen to what he says? Throughout the scriptures, we're encouraged to read and meditate on the word of God. We are in a very blessed position in this day. Throughout the vast majority of Christian history, God's people could only be exposed to the scriptures during the public reading at church. Many of them were not able to read. Many of them did not have their own Bibles that they could possess, and the only place they could hear it was on Sunday morning. How blessed are we to have the Bible in multiple English translations available to us in an instant for, uh, for free? Uh, What a tremendous blessing. Are we going to uh, take advantage of the blessings that God has given us? Related to this, we need to study and discuss the scriptures. God gave the church the scriptures. Our study of the scripture cannot be done in a vacuum. The church is a community, and it's God's intention that we all grow in knowledge of him through the scriptures together. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses teaches the people that you shall teach them diligent, uh, regarding the, the words of the Lord, you shall teach them diligently to your sons, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. He says, pretty much wherever you go, the word of God should be on your lips. That should be the topic of discussion. How often do we discuss the word uh, outside of the Sunday morning that we have? Is that really what is the focus of our lives are? Uh, we need to test all things against the scriptures. We too, like the Bereans, need to test everything that we hear against the scriptures. And this even goes for what you hear on Sunday morning, right? The Apostle Paul was an apostle speaking the very word of God to them, and yet he uh, was encouraged when they were going to the scriptures to test whether what he said was so. If the words of the Apostle Paul were to be tested in scripture, how much more should the words we hear coming from the pulpit be tested in scripture. 
I don't claim to be an apostle. I don't claim to have any infallible authority. The only authority that my words have are are the authority that the word of God gives them. Uh, They're only authoritative so far as they agree with the words of God. And then finally, we need to believe the scriptures and walk by them. And I'll close with just a few verses from Psalm 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor does he stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in it, in his law, he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree, firmly planted by the streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers." May we be like that tree, firmly planted by that water, those scriptures, that very word of God. May we walk according to them, and may we bear fruit as a result. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we are thankful for this time that we've had to consider your word, this sure testimony that you have given us, this inspired word by which we can live by. We are thankful that you spoke clearly to us in a way that we can understand, and we're thankful that it is these scriptures that point to salvation that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. We need no other source of revelation. Uh, We need only the divine word which you have given us that points us to everlasting life in Jesus. I pray that uh, we would follow where the scriptures are pointing us, that we would trust in the Lord Jesus, and that we would seek to walk in obedience to everything that he has said in this divine word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.